How are banks and credit unions conforming to the FFIEC's updated authentication guidance? I'm Tracy Kidd, Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by Aviva Leighton, a distinguished analyst at Gartner and a recognized authority on the FFIEC guidance, and some of the fraud detection technology and authentication solutions banking institutions are investing in and deploying. Aviva, you've been out talking with financial institutions about technology investments they should be making to conform to the FFIEC's updated authentication guidance. What types of investments are you seeing? Tracy, I'm seeing, number one, investments in risk assessments. Uh, Many of the banks let that slide after the 2005 guidance came out, and that's an area that's getting a lot of attention. So they are definitely investing in risk assessments. Secondly, they're taking a much closer look at their payment systems, wire and ACH, and tightening those up. Uh, so that they can conform with the guidance uh, that requires the banks to look at login of customers and movement of money uh, among customers. So there's a lot of attention being paid to ACH and WIRE. Uh, Third, they're looking at customer awareness, but I'm not seeing a lot of investment there, just like a fresh look. And then fourth, looking at current methods that have become out of date especially the challenge questions and the simple device identification that were called out by the guidance. So those are the areas that I'm seeing the most investment in. That's a great point because I wanted to ask, had you seen a dedicated or an adequate level of attention and detail being paid to the ongoing risk assessment plans? And it sounds like you are. Definitely seeing it now. Whether we'll see it continue a couple of years from now, I'm not sure. But that was the first point that the FFIEC guidance called out, they said, you know, banks, you you paid attention to this once in 2005, and many of you have not gone back and updated your risk assessments. So that was the first thing that they said in the guidance, and uh, the banks are taking that seriously. Now, Aviva, have you spoken with any institutions that have actually undergone an examination? Oh, yes, most definitely. Uh, Many of the institutions I'm speaking with are engaged in active discussions with their examiners. I have not talked to any that have finished an examination and passed one. That doesn't mean they don't exist, but the banks that I'm talking with are in the midst of the examinations. So they've got a lot of back and forth going on. The examiner will come in, take an initial look, make some recommendations. The bank has to respond to that. They don't always agree with all of them. So they're very much in the midst of this at this stage. Now, I'd like to reference our recent survey, the Faces of Fraud survey. And in that survey, we found that a majority of institutions question the impact conformance to the FFIEC's new guidance will actually have on fraud. In fact, 51% of the survey's more than 200 respondents say they see conformance only slightly reducing fraud. Do you find that statistic surprising? Not at all, uh, because in many banks, number one, the fraud staff and the staff that are managing compliance are not in the same part of the organization. So you'll find that among the larger banks and the regional banks. So the uh, staff that are worried about FFIEC, they coordinate with the fraud staff, but they don't have like the most open communications when it comes to how these steps could impact fraud. I mean, that 
That sounds surprising, but it's true. It's a siloed approach. The compliance people worry about compliance, and the fraud people worry about fraud, and they're not the same goals, frankly. Uh, in the smaller banks, I think that you will see FFIUC guidance driving real uh, budgetary allocations towards fraud improvements, fraud detection improvements. So I think in the smaller banks, if you dissected this chart by tier size, I would guess you would see that the small banks think it will have a much bigger impact than the large banks will. Um, but I think it's really important on this point to note that compliance doesn't always equal security. It doesn't always get you to security, but security will typically get you to compliance. And then based on some of the banks that you've talked to, Aviva, how far along are they in their conformance to the guidance? On average, 50% done. Uh, you know, they've go, they're in the middle of making improvements based on the risk assessments. Most of the ones I've spoken to are either done or almost done with the risk assessments. Um, and so it's an ongoing process. You can't change banking systems overnight. You know, there's a lot to be done. So, for example, if you're moving from simple challenge questions to out-of-band authentication, you have to spend a lot of time just getting the phone numbers of your customers up to date. And that's not always so easy, especially for business customers. So that could take six months to a year alone, you know, maybe even more than that. So I think, you know, they're well underway at uh, knowing what they need to do in, in many cases. In other cases, they're still grappling with some of the details, so they got a handle on maybe 85% of it, but this is not a snap to immediate program. You know, it's an ongoing program. And are banks and credit unions focusing too much attention on customer and member education and not enough on technology? It depends on, uh, you know, who you ask. <laughs> yeah, I have seen the results of your survey that demonstrate the smaller banks and the credit unions think security should be solved and fraud should be solved by their customers. So the ones that think it's the customer's issue, yes, I think they're putting too much weight on it. But I do think, uh, assuming that everybody takes equal responsibility or the problem and shared responsibility, the customer awareness is very important uh, because it can help avoid a lot of mishaps. Certainly some of the fraud that we're seeing from sophisticated Trojans, you can't expect a customer to, to see that on their desktop. But at least if you make them aware of security issues, they'll call in right away if something's unusual or they may not fall for a phishing attack. So. I think that it's important to share responsibility across customers and banks, but definitely not rely on your customers for uh, your entire fraud strategy. And the data that you show me shows that I think some, some of the credit unions and banks are relying too much on customer awareness. So uh, that's the way the results showed up. I hope it's not true, but it looked like it. And then what about some of the education plans that you're seeing financial institutions implement? Are they conducting that education in the way the FFIEC intended? So that's a great question also because I think the FFIEC was not crystal clear. And this is an area where they should have been crystal clear. 
So um, specifically, they said you need to inform your consumer and business customers where Reggae protects them and where it doesn't. But what they didn't tell the banks was, well, how do you communicate this to the customers? Is it okay to do it in the fine print of a condition, terms and condition sheet? Is it okay not to mention specifically Reg E, but just to say regulation? Is it okay just to have a web page that tells them about their protections very generally? Like how specific do you get? And if you just have this in some PDF document buried on the side of your website, is that good enough? So I think the questions that are left for the FFIEC to answer is, number one, do the banks have to specifically refer to Reg E? Because that's not clear. And number two, what constitutes adequate communications? That's not clear at all either. If you uh, remember a few years ago, there was legislation passed uh, relative to GLBA on informing consumers of their privacy rights and where they could opt in, when they could opt out. The legislators were very specific with the banks, telling them, and the card issuers specifically rather, you know, what font they had to use, which was a good idea because we, none of us could ever read the fine print. It's hard enough to read the larger font. So it's that kind of detail that's missing from the FFIEC guidance. That's a really good point because I wanted to ask about some of the confusion that surrounds the guidance. And again, um, the regulators have said they wanted to keep things vague so that the guidance um, wouldn't become dated too quickly. Um, but the absence of mobile is something that's come up over and over again. And I'm just wondering, what kind of confusion do you see there among the institutions that you're talking to? I think the main confusion is pretty simple. Uh, the, the guidance does not address mobile with respect to authentication. So the guidance spends sometimes uh, some paragraphs talking about out-of-band authentication, how it's safer, how it should be used, um, that you, you can't use simple challenge questions, you should use more complex challenge questions. That's another uh, method of authentication. And they don't address how that would work in mobile banking. So if you're coming in from a mobile device, how do you do out-of-band authentication on that mobile device? The regulators need to define that, okay, SMS to a mobile phone is really out of channel if the mobile app is not using the SMS channel. So they need to say something specific, where, which methods are out-of-band for mobile banking. And they also need to address the challenge questions because asking all these questions on a mobile device and expecting users to type in the answers is just very kludgy. So it's not going to work real well on mobile, and they don't even make any reference to that. So they encourage the banks to move from simple challenge questions to out-of-wallet questions, which, by the way, is very expensive, and uh, whether or not that's so effective remains to be seen. Um, there are problems with that also, but even forgetting that for a moment, how are you supposed to handle complex challenge questions on a mobile device? For example, Apple took away the uh, UDID, their device ID, from uh, from iPhones and iPads, from being exposed to other applications, so the developers are scrambling. It's not clear how you're supposed to do device identification yet on mobile phones. There's a variety of measures 
um, and that relates to the authentication guidance again. The other parts of the guidance, like the layered security, the anomaly detection, it doesn't matter if the user is on a mobile device or a landline device. And so when we look at the guidance overall beyond mobile, what other areas are not quite so clear based on what you're hearing? Uh, I think the challenge questions is uh, just to bring that up again. Uh, the guidance, in my opinion, made a mistake by getting into details on device identification and challenge questions within the guidance as opposed to in the appendix. So the banks are a little confused with that. The wording in those paragraphs I thought was well done. The principles were sound, but just because they called out these specific methods in the guidance, some of the banks are thinking, oh, and I think some of the examiners are thinking, oh, we got to all move all our simple questions now to complex out-of-wallet questions. And, you know, that costs a dollar, dollar fifty a shot. So it could be very costly. So I'm hearing a lot of griping about that. Um, and also about device identification, that's been beaten by man-in-the-browser attacks, even by some proxy servers. So that's causing consternation. And then, of course, the banks want to know what everyone else is doing, especially when it comes to customer awareness programs. What are they expected to do? How clear are these programs supposed to be, these customer awareness programs? How proactive? Now, again, you've reviewed some of the survey results. What key points stand out or surprise you beyond those that we've already discussed? I was surprised that so many banks think they're compliant already. When you ask the question, are you in conformance or not, 11%, so that's more than one out of 10, think they're in full conformance now. I'm surprised with that. And I was surprised that 23% had no clue where they stood. So, you know, at this point, they really should know if they're in compliance or, you know, what their plans are. I wasn't surprised by the question about Will the guidance re help reduce fraud for the reasons uh, we, we talked about? But I was surprised when 62% said that the guidance was clear to them, that the expectations were clear, um, because that didn't really reconcile with just a simple thing like mobile banking not being addressed. And then before we close, Aviva, just based on the information that you've gathered from some of the institutions that you've spoken with, as well as some of these survey results, what final thoughts or recommendations would you like to share? Well, the way I would approach this if I were in the bank's shoes is just do what's reasonable. Worry about protecting your customer accounts. And then argue with the regulators if you don't agree with their specific opinion. Because in the end, I think we're all reasonable adults. And the goal is to keep these fraudsters out. And the exact tactics can differ from bank to bank. But really use your head, use your common sense, do what's best to protect the accounts. And I would hope that the regulators would agree with those measures if they're based on sound reasoning. Aviva, I want to thank you again for your time today. Thank you, Tracy. It's always good to talk with you. Again, we've just heard from Aviva Lighton, a distinguished analyst at Gartner. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.